Welcome, everyone, to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type, and then we report back the results to each other and you fine listeners. My name is Aaron Spears. And I'm Mike Went. This episode's challenge is Radio Station Films. Indeed. Which, as we mentioned in the last one, sounds like a super, super, super niche topic with like yeah. five movies, but there's a lot out there, and I had a really hard time narrowing down my list of couple honorable mentions and I, I had my main pick um because i've been meaning to watch it for a while yeah the rest of it i was like oh god this one okay oh, i can't get rid of this one i can't figure, oh now, yeah. I have to, now i find another one i got to include it yeah you're right because i i think there are you know since the probably the dawn of of filmmaking mm-hmm. you know radio was the pretty much one of those first forms of entertainment that you can have in your in your home that's a good point you know so yeah. i think in you know, so obviously there's there's a lot of integration with radio and, and television, but also those radio plays sometimes could be adapted to a films. I mean, especially, you know, War of the Worlds, you know, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so yeah, it's just something that it, it seems, you're right, it does seem very niche, but it is something that, you know, it's all in that same umbrella of entertainment uh, has been there for so long that it's only natural that that film there have been films that that tackle take you know a place in a radio station i really hadn't placed it in the timeline so you kind of worded it that way though too where you have um, essentially sound film uh, talking pictures as it were yeah. is born in 27 with a jazz singer and then proliferates and it wasn't like overnight everything was installed and everybody saw sound films but like that's, yeah. 27 is like you know 20 20 late 20 or you know mid to late 20s and early 30s is like golden age of radio when like you know am radio was kind of going out there and like you yeah. said radio dramas were proliferating and there's definitely some uh i think it was like a history of warner brothers book i read a while ago because warner brothers and movie studios would just get into radio because they yeah. were around uh but the, some of the 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 speculation was like, oh my gosh, people are just going to stay home. They're not going to go to the movies anymore because (laughs) it was just in their house. Like, yeah, but we've got images. Um, So it's funny that that kind of like worry about pulling away an audience from, from the movie, from the theatrical experience was there in the twenties. Yeah. And we're still seeing like echoes and obviously, you know, TV comes around 50s, 60s. That's a huge threat to the box office and going out to the movies. Now we can stream things on our phones or, or the average TV size in our homes is, wild compared to just when like we were kids um, yeah or even teenagers so like the threat to uh film dominance has been there since like the 20s and uh yeah radio certainly plays a role in that as well yeah you know you, you have so many different period films tend to use that radio uh you know them you know the you have the shots of a couple listening to the radio to hear that that news you know yeah. especially uh during like more times or something like that. Right. So, right. You know, th- there is such, yeah. So it's a cool integration and, uh, you know, now it's like, there's always this now, now living in the present, there's, there's always talk that, you know, terrestrial radio is kind of the way of the dinosaur and, mm-hmm. you know, with the advent of all the different streaming listening services and satellite radio. But I, I have this feeling like terrestrial radio, at least FM radio will be, mm-hmm at least a part of our culture, like while we're still alive, maybe, maybe not for the future, but who knows? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, that's a good question. I don't know. Like that's gotta be 
like that industry also the radio and the terrestrial radio industry has got to be about as paranoid as like the theatrical environment has yeah. been paranoid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like especially especially now but i think it feels like at the point we're at now if it was going to go away it would have gone away yeah um, absolutely right and and i think we hadn't really talked too much about this, but I think knowing a little bit of, of your history, Mike, I, I felt like this was a topic that was very close to both of our hearts as, <laughs> as, as fans of radio. Um, yes. I did. I had some experience in college being a uh, uh, being a, a music geek as far as is also majoring in film. But we had a campus radio station when I was there and you yeah. would, uh, I noticed it right away because it was like on my way from like my freshman dorm to the student union where my meal card I, I ate a lot of meals and they just had a big, you know, window where you could see into the booth and there's a yeah. you know, on air sign was lit up. And I was just like, wait, we have a radio station. So I looked up the guide and, you know, it was, it was as varied as the interest of anybody who is, who could go through the training and, and get a radio show. Yeah. And so we started uh, calling in to my roommate. And I started calling into the guys that were doing like a punk and ska show because it was on at like 10 PM on Sundays. <laughs> this radio station really would only go out about as far. I was at Wright State University in Dayton, which is a key yeah. school. And it was comical to me that it couldn't even reach the commuters coming in. It basically <laughs> went to the end of the the campus parking lots, which is about where my dorm was. So we would call in and request stuff. And they were like, you know, they played the song. Like, do you guys just want to come hang out? Because like, we were, were basically the only ones calling in. Because <laughs> yeah. like, who the hell's <laughs> calling in? Um, so we started hanging out with them. And then I ended up starting, I did a film show after them from no- uh, noon, midnight till one, which was, you know, I had a blast, but no one no one was listening. <laughs> like I was doing trivia and stuff, trying to get people to interested. And really it was just like the, my, you know, my friends hanging out, you know, after the punk show's done and my buddies hanging out in the studio. So we're like, all right, we'll just talk to each other and, you know, vamp it up on air. Cause I was like, it was a really dumb move. Cause like I could place like clips of soundtracks and stuff, but like yeah. I didn't the musical theme. I picked a visual medium that I was <laughs> talking about, <laughs> you know, uh, twice a month on Sundays at midnight for an hour. So it was like, I guess maybe now I'd be like, oh, it's my early days of podcasting basically. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, I I also was uh, on the campus radio station at uh, the University of Akron, mm-hmm. and that station has a a pretty decent reach in at least the city of Akron. So mm-hmm. it is in when when I was there, they were experimenting with this uh, doing. Uh, they it was always a top forty station, so okay. you know it wasn't the kind of college radio station where we could play whatever we want. You know, right. there was a very pretty regimented playlist, but they, for a couple of years while I was there, they did, um, you know, top 40 up until about seven fifty nine or eight, actually, Oh, I'm sorry. Eight fifty nine. Okay. And then 9 PM till about uh, 6 AM. They, they did rock. So it was called night rock. Um, so that, you know, I, I think, that was more my element, uh, you know, cause I'm more of like a rock listener and yeah. there were certain subgenres in during that time in the early two thousands that I still don't really know that like the emo stuff that the screamo stuff that sometimes oh. was on our list yep. that actually now I see, you know, some of the local bars have emo nights, like yeah. you know, <laughs> they're packed yeah. with like all these people. And like, I was playing some of that music, but I just, it was not my thing, but, uh, but anyway, I, I have, yeah, very fond memories of, of working at the, uh, the campus radio station. It was, it was a good time. It was, it was. And then you as a filmmaker went on to make a documentary. 
Yes. Well. Uh, so, yeah, I made a documentary about a radio station that was here in Cleveland. It was one of the last locally owned owned and operated alternative rock stations, mm-hmm. uh, even though there there was like a history of like it of uh, format changes on that station. But for that time period of the 90s between 92 and 99, you know, it came right in that wave where alternative grunge, all those oh, like, yeah. great things were happening. But then it did, it became uh, the victim of being bought by a larger con- conglomeration and then they had mm-hmm. to um you know format to what they think people not just in cleveland but every market wanted to hear right and so it kind of got uh it got uh different from what it was so right know, the movie's called the end of the world as we knew it and i'm actually right now uh behind the scenes kind of trying to finally put that out on on uh disc so or, Ooh, DVD nice. or blu-ray we tried a Kickstarter back when Kickstarter was first starting out and we did okay, but we did never reach the goal and never really had the money. But now, um, now that, uh, been able to save up some finally going to put it out there. So stay tuned, you know, once (laughs) we have some announcements later. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Down the line. I mean, that station's, uh, story is in and of itself, like the, it's a movie plot. You know, the evil yeah. corporate takeover yeah. of like a passionately, you know, locally owned and operated, uh, you know, radio station as well, which is actually a movie I didn't pick, but I'll, I'll, I'll hold that title in case you did pick it. But sure, <laughs> um, there was one that I was like, I remember being really excited to watch and then it, it was a good, good enough movie, but it just wasn't the music I cared about. And yeah. that's one of the interesting things that go into this um, genre of radio station films is if it's, if it's a music station, then I'll watch it because I like the setting of, of the movie. But I also would love to have one where I also love the music of it. Yes. As well. Yeah. And that one I from the ones I've watched doesn't exactly exist yet. So I have this like fantasy ideal radio sure. movie that doesn't quite exist that takes place in like the late sixties is like, you know, the British invasion and rock is flourishing and you get like psychedelic rock and all kinds of cool shit happening in that scene, but also culturally and politically, there's all kinds of interesting stuff going on in American culture <laughs> in the late sixties. And I just want like a hangout movie like that maybe like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie eventually of like, you know, an LA, you know, radio station and uh, just sort of like the, just the hanging out with the characters and seeing like a week in the life of all these, these folks. Yeah. There there was a while I was working on this, this script. I wanted to, I came up with the title was called drive time. Um, Ooh, I like it. uh, (laughs) it. But uh, it it took place in the seventies, but I remember showing it to a friend and he's like, you know, this is a pretty interesting idea, but the music writes alone of all the needle drops (laughs) that you've written into the script. (laughs) Uh, I mean, your budget is already way more than I think you could ever. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe if we pick it to the right, you know, record label, they'll they'll do it like uh, like they did for Days of Confused. And he's just like, yeah, man, I don't. It's that that was a different time. <laughs> yeah, no, for for sure. Yeah. There's actually a great uh, book. I think I texted you about it when I was reading it. It's like it's called "All Right, All Right, All Right: An Oral History of Days to Confused." Yeah, Richard Linkletter has in there his ideal like mixtape. Like he put together, oh, the, like Dude, this is the soundtrack to this movie. Yeah. And then he the the end of the book is a lot of his diaries about like 
trying to get the rights and just arguing and like pleading. And they're like, yeah, but yes. what about this other one we could play? He's like, that, that music doesn't even fit. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so that was kind of fun, which is weird. Cause like, essentially what he's saying is like, he's fine with the soundtrack he ended up having for days confused, but his ideal soundtrack was just going to blow the budget out. And you're like, yeah, Dude, that was a soundtrack of, I mean, I, you know, I was graduating uh, high school and coming of age kind of like, you know, nineties, but like, that was a 70s set soundtrack, but that was a soundtrack of my youth driving around for yes. cars was days yes. confused. And I was like, and it wasn't even the one you wanted. What? <laughs> Actually, that could be a good Richard Linklater movie too. That I think about it, just hanging out in a Texas radio station and yes, yes. You know, 1972 or something, but like it has to be in the outskirts of town, you know? Right, right, right. right. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we should jump into some honorable mentions. Did you have, um, were you able to narrow down your list? Uh, did you go with like uh, music stations, talk radio stations? What'd you, what'd you go with here? Well, I, there, there's one I, I did want to bring up because at the time it was, it was released. Mm-hmm. It became, I believe pretty much my favorite movie. It, it, it was, it, it was either in the top three of my favorite movies in that particular year. Okay. Um, which was uh, Robert Altman's A Prairie Home Companion. Oh, yeah. uh, which is uh, based on the show that is, uh, you know, very famous on um, NPR. And if I'm, I might be remembering correctly, like Garrison Keillor kind of slightly canceled now. I, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Like at, <laughs> at some yeah. point, uh, but there, so it, it's, it's basically taking off the format of that, of that TV show where, or, or of that radio show where you have all these like cast of characters and it's performed live. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way how the movie is, is presented is that it's going to be the very last broadcast that they ever do. So all of like the greatest characters that they've had are all converging onto this. Uh, you know, it, you know, Meryl Streep is a part of the cast. Lily Tomlin, I believe um, you also have uh uh, Lindsay Lohan at the time, who was oh, yeah. probably a, a pretty big get at, at that juncture. Um, and probably also a pretty big mess at that point in her career. Yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing that always stuck out to me is that also it was Robert Altman's last film. Yeah. Um, and I almost wonder if he if he knew this was close to the end or something, because there is a there's kind of, there's like a somberness to it, but then there's also a lot of scenes of great joy, especially like Woody Harrelson and um, John C. Riley have a scene where like, they kind of play like, you know, joking, you know, guys on it. Um, But uh, I, I, a little tidbit of like behind the curtain from that movie is that they hired Paul Thomas Anderson, who, um, Mm -hmm. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson, a huge Robert Altman fan, uh, they they hired him as a, you know, basically a stand in in case uh, Altman was not able to finish the project. So. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, it's it's one of those movies that I don't know right now what the streaming status of it is or. But um, I think as a if you are a Robert Altman fan, if you're a completist, um, this is, I, I think, a perfect send off for his career yeah well i mean even if he didn't i mean I, I don't know that the personal information i don't know if he like had a i don't think he had a terminal illness or anything like that but like he was like you know 80 going into pre-production it just makes sense to have someone around to you know back it up in case something happens yeah um, i'm sure it was a thrill for pta uh you know as like oh yeah he's 
I mean, he blatantly will say like, you know, like he's, that's like one of his heroes for, oh, yeah. you know, Boogie Nights and, and Magnolia, especially. Oh, especially Magnolia. Yeah. I think he's even done interviews where he was just like, oh my God, that was my film school. Like, oh, yeah. shit, that was so, <laughs> yeah. so, so amazing. I've actually, that, that was on my list, but I, I've never seen that one. It, it's a, it. like I said, it's very, it's very much worth seeing. I, I believe I have it somewhere on DVD, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's never been on Blu-ray or anything. It's just, it probably did okay. Like in the art houses when it came out, I, I do, right. I saw it in New York when I was interning out there and there wasn't like huge crowds there. So I, I figured <laughs> there's not yeah, huge no, crowds no. there. It may not be. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but but definitely worth seeking out, and it's so I guess it's slightly a cheat because it's not really on a radio station, but it's you know a part of a radio show. I mean, and, and the conceit is, I mean, because I believe um, I didn't really listen to the show when it was on the radio, but like he would perform it and record it out and broadcast it out live because like he had an Correct. audience for the show. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting hybrid where like it was going out on the radio waves, but it was also. Um, a theater production basically yes because um, yeah there's always these fictional things or like basically there's like reoccurring characters that he yeah. would always talk about and all these like fake ads and everything oh yeah that, yeah that like the npr audiences always like lap up like, oh they do yeah <laughs> my, my brother was a big listener of that one and uh she always said you gotta listen to wait wait don't tell me i'm like i'm yeah good i've tried it it's just it's not for me how about you I'm going to go all the way back to kind of the early days of talking pictures, as I kind of referenced earlier. Um, I'm going to do the big broadcast from 1932. Ooh, okay. Um, this is one of those movies, obviously, it's about a big broadcast. It's an early version of let's put on a big show in order to save the insert what needs saving here. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like Gold Diggers of Broadway, uh, that whole series did that. Let's put on a big show and save the theater. Yeah. Uh, this is let's put on a big star-studded show and save the radio station. It's directed by Frank Tuttle, who's kind of, you know, kind of one of those like studio journeyman directors from that time period. The cast, though, is pretty wild. You've got Bing Crosby is starring in it, and you've got Burns and Allen, Gracie Allen and George Burns as their radio personas, but like they yeah. also were actors, they were also on the stage. So they're a natural fit. Um, and you also have Cab Calloway in there and just, you know, a bunch of different musicians and a bunch of folks that maybe people wouldn't recognize now, but in the time period, we're like, oh, these are, these are the stars. It's all about the audio. It's about the singing. It's about the performance. It's not a, I don't believe, I haven't seen it in a minute, but I, I don't believe there's any like dramatic productions like we referenced War of the World, like radio sure, plays. Sure. Um, I believe it's almost like music plays. Also, you've got Bing Crosby in there. Like it's going to be, <laughs> you know, kind of about the songs. And this is how vaguely disguised this movie was when it came out. Uh, Bing Crosby's character is Bing Hornsby. <laughs> like, it, okay, you're playing yourself. Come on. There's, if you look up it on Wikipedia, I mean, there's like a 15 paragraph, like long ass description for the plot. And I was like, I don't, I mean, it's like maybe 70 minutes. I was like, the, the yeah. it's not to the plot. I'm like, man, it's like a play by play the way that the description reads, but <laughs> it's essentially, you know, he's there at a radio station and they have to put on a big, uh, big show, big production, which is going to be the finale, obviously, of the big broadcast, which is the big broadcast. Um, but it, and I, and I don't remember it being like amazing or anything. It's a great, you know, like 1930s pre-code musical that gives you a great flavor of what radio, like it's a time capsule piece of like, this is what radio was in, yeah. 19, in, in the golden age of radio. And like the first big boom of like radio, you know, going out to going out to homes. Actually, I looked up the stat. So 
1934, a couple of years after the big broadcast came out, but in 1934, 60% of households had a radio. So wow. it's, it's, it's constantly expanding and, and every year there's more radios going into houses at that point in time. So, and it's on YouTube. So you just, anybody can go watch it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if that had a big influence on UHF or something. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's a good, uh, I mean, the format is kind of one of those tried and true formats that's been yeah. used you know, over the years. And, um, you know, this came out decades before UHF. So why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else you got, Mike? Uh, so this one's probably more of an obvious um, honorable mention, but it's, it's just one of those movies that over the time of being, you know, young, younger, uh, into now, mm-hmm. you know, it was just always on TV, either if, if it was on HBO or if it was on Comedy Central. Gosh, like it, I think like there was a while there it was maybe on Comedy Central at least once a day, uh, which okay. is it's uh, 1994's Airheads oh, uh, directed okay, yeah. by Michael Lehman, who uh, also made the great film Heathers. And Airheads, I think, arguably is not great, um, but <laughs> it is at least it's entertaining. You know, I, I can see why it would be a time filler on a cable station, uh, or, <laughs> you know, uh, but but it's basically about three, uh, three musicians who are in a band uh, called the Lone Rangers. Uh, they they've made a, a demo tape and they're trying to get it into the hands of a record executive and. You know, my guess is uh, because they don't have an agent or they don't have all the, these other things, you know, nobody gives them the time of day. Uh, so they uh, kidnap or basically they break into a, a radio station with uh, uh, Uzis that they're, they're actually or water guns that look like Uzis and, um, you know, take over the station uh, so they can play their song. And uh, in my opinion, one of the the best like made for uh you know of this like genre because it came out right where in this like kind of early grunge era uh which actually by that point in 94 is like you know it it was exploding so like they really capitalized on it but uh the song degenerated which is like their their song yeah. um i i have the soundtrack because I, I i think it's actually like a pretty damn good song it's catchy uh yeah. <laughs> but uh and i kind of i think brendan fraser actually really did sing in it um from from what i can uh from what i, I see that read yeah um but uh it i think like lar- part of it is like it does have a it has a good cast like adam sandler steve buscemi uh you also have michael mckeon uh, you also have Michael Richards, like who, oh, right. you know, at the time, you know, was huge in Seinfeld, Chris Farley. Um, I mean, just a great cast. It's probably yeah. though, I mean, it's kind of a mediocre movie, but it's <laughs> worth seeing if you want to see something that, that almost literally takes place exclusively inside of a radio station. Right, right. I, I was thinking you were going to go with pump up the volume at first, but then once you said comedy central and on every day, I was like, Oh my God, I remember, I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. It was just every time you'd flip through the channels, you're like, Oh, I guess so. But like to the point where I'm pretty sure I've seen it start to finish, but I kept catching it on cable at that time period. And I was like, I don't actually know if I ever sat down and watched it start, like, to, finish. start to finish. Yeah. I, I mean, friends of mine were quoting it. We were putting it on, you know, we'd hold this, the 
you know, recorder up to the speakers to add like clips to mixtapes and stuff. <laughs> um, so like it was always around, but yeah, I don't remember if I actually just start, saw it uh, start to finish or not, but yeah. I mean, That's another it, time capsule movie though. Like it, 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 it captures like that moment in, in, in the nineties uh, musically very well, very well. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Any others for you? Well, I mean, I could keep going. I, I, I got a yeah. on my list. So I, I grabbed one here. Um, actually, no, I'm going to do this one instead because we were just talking about Canadian films on our last yeah. one. It was one I debated, but I, I, I didn't go with. And that is from 2008. It's the movie Pontypool. Mm, okay. Uh, yes. From director Bruce McDonald. Um, Canadian, right? He's, yeah. Yeah. It's in the oh. hall, right? Right. Wait, is it that Bruce McDonald? No. Maybe. Different no. Bruce McDonald. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. 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 Okay. Uh, Canadian film, television director, writer, producer, and his image is him in a cowboy hat. Definitely not the kids in the hall guy. But <laughs> uh, good. I mean, for a minute there, I was like, man, what a career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a book called Pontypool Changes Everything, written by Tony Burgess. Um, and then he was brought in to adapt his own book, which I'm always a fan of. So I'm like, go this way or it can go awesome. And this one, yeah. I think, went awesome. Uh, the other thing they have is they have um, Stephen McHattie plays the main character, Grant Mazzy, which is a great, great yes. uh, radio personality kind of name. And he's a guy who's kind of it's a small town of Pontypool, Ontario. He's like um, kind of a shock jock on air persona. And God, when you watch this movie, he just has like the deepest, richest. You're like, oh, my God, that's a radio voice. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have to act too much outside of being like on the air necessarily so i don't really know his acting chops but damn he is just perfect in this movie so it is a horror film uh when disc jockey grant mazzy reports to his basement radio station in the canadian town of pontypool he thinks it's just another day of work but when he hears reports of a virus that turns people into zombies he barricades himself in the radio booth he's got his trusty producer there uh played by lisa hull and um i think there may be one other person in there with him but it's just like it's a local almost feels like they're broadcasting from a basement of like the local rec center or something like i mean it's an actual yeah. like, sound booth and everything else but um it just it has that like just little local uh you know fm radio station kind of vibe to it and we don't go outside of the radio station at all so they own the information they have is what people are calling in and telling them yeah um and i think there is like a reporter or uh, the traffic guy, maybe it's been a minute since I watched this one, but there is somebody who's calling in from outside and he's like giving them play by play of just like, holy shit, you won't believe what I'm seeing. And they're like, yeah, come on, this is a hoax. And so they go through all of those levels until like it does actually come to them um, eventually. And it's interesting because this zombie outbreak is actually transmitted through audio, which I think is an interesting twist on the yeah. zombie, but also within the scope of being all set and around a radio station and broadcasting, you're like, well, shit, am I am I broadcasting the virus now? Or like, and I don't want to give anything away. There's a lot of little twists and turns yeah. there, but uh, definitely solidly in the horror realm. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're more interested in just like the hangout vibes and hearing some good music, it's not, it's more of like a talk radio vibe um, than anything else, but also um, definitely, definitely horror. It's one of those. I love it. I bought it a, a years ago and it's one of those I watch every October because it, you know, sets, sets the tone for a month of uh, watching horror films. You know, now looking at his IMDb, I now remember where I've seen his name before. And if you recall at the, the Cleveland Film Festival during during that movie, I Like Movies, I had asked about a TV series, a Canadian TV series. It, if it was, 
Oh, I remember you asking the question, but I can't remember what the name of the series was. Uh, it, it's called Less Than Kind, and he's yes. directed some of the episodes oh, uh, nice. on that show. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, he. It looks like he also did at least 20 episodes of Degrassi. Oh, uh, uh, there you <laughs> so go. So his uh... – It's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely made uh, – you're, you're an official Canadian star director if you're, <laughs> yeah. you're doing if some If you've Degrassi. done that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I do remember I, – I, I remember wanting to – this was on my short list of things to watch for this this particular episode, but I just uh, I just didn't get to it. But uh, but I'm glad that you mentioned it. Yeah, no, it's solid. Um, I didn't check to see if it streamed anywhere, but my I my my disc is over here. If you want to borrow, it. Yeah. <laughs> so sweet man. It it's weird. I don't know. This would be a topic we well maybe we would revisit it but like i i had all these uh tabs and like go to um, oh yeah go to one so maybe maybe we'll have to because it's something that we both you know really enjoy even though i was like i don't know i i, I had a i had like 12 or 13 ones that i'd seen and then yeah. there's even more that i wanted to get to a couple that i couldn't uh couldn't find right away so um you know before we start recording i mentioned to you and uh you know i'll uh i guess i'll embarrass myself but i I really wanted to watch the movie Play Misty for me, which is oh, yeah. a Clint Eastwood uh, movie from 1971. And I swear to God, last week when I was doing prep for this episode, it was not available. But now every Amazon, Apple, it all has a rental or purchase option. So I, I don't know <laughs> what the hell I did. Um, so... If if we could revisit it down the line, I will make sure to watch Play Misty for me for that episode. <laughs> and uh, I'll I'll shout one out too. There was one uh, British film by a director I think you enjoy. I don't. Uh, Richard Curtis. Uh, ah, yes, for love actually. He yes. did one called Pirate Radio that we played. Oh yes, managing the art house, which is now called The Boat That Rocked. Yeah, that that's the British title. I British think. title, okay. Yeah, and um, I was going to request it in through the library, and then I just didn't get to. It. I'm like, oh, I just, I my hatred for love actually was just like, do I really want to see this? <laughs> but it's got Bill Nighy, and I love him, and it's got Philip Seymour Hoffman, and it's exactly basically what I was talking about, like that late '60s, early '70s, and they're doing pirate radio because they want to get this awesome new rock and roll sound out to the masses. Yes, rules of broadcasting are like, nah, nah, nah. Um, so yeah, the pirate. I'm like, everything about this makes me think i'm gonna love it so uh, <laughs> i, yeah. I believe i saw that two or three times in the theater <laughs> oh, okay so, <laughs> so it might be that 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 um non-existent movie about a radio station that i actually that i want may actually yes. i just haven't seen it yet so uh to be to be determined so aside from the ones we're going to watch mike what was the one you actually picked and uh and watch for this episode the the movie i ended up picking you you did uh mention in passing as uh it, because this is one that I I don't know how I've never watched it before. I should have watched it. Uh, but this one is definitely one that is not – it's at least not available to to stream. And I had to watch it in 27 parts on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> one of those. Uh, okay. I hope if, – if Warner Brothers is listening, I, I apologize. But uh, I, I did – I finally got to watch Pump Up the Vine. Oh, you had never seen it before. I have never seen it before. Oh, wow. All right. Um, and I uh, I really I really quite enjoyed it. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody Think about it. Knows. 
Everything's polluted. The environment, the government, the schools, you name it. Good guys. We were on uh, 92 FM tonight. It feels like a nice, clean little band. No one else is using it. Price is right. Are you listening to this? Yeah, of course I'm listening. There's nothing to do anymore. And all the great themes have been used up, turned into theme parks. So I don't really find it exactly cheerful to be living in a totally, like, exhausted decade where there's nothing to look forward to and no one to look up to. He's got a pirate radio station. Nobody knows who he is. I, I could be that anonymous nerd sitting across from you. And when you turn around, and he just looks away. Never looks back at you again. There is like, as we've we've covered probably very well on all our episodes. Like, I do like the coming of age genre, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, this is uh, you know, for some, like I said, I don't know why I've never seen it, but um, but 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 I enjoyed it. So, you know, so for for anybody who's like me who never watched it before, um, you know, this has Christian Slater. He his dad has just taken this uh pretty high uh you know school board position um in in the town that they moved to and you know while he's in school he's kind of very mild mannered very quiet but at night he is the host of this oh I don't know what you call it, like a ham radio show or something you know like he he has like yeah. a like kind of a lo-fi broadcast stream but it's at least able to go throughout this town so all the teenagers kind of listen to him and you know sometimes he swears sometimes he 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 goes to places that uh and he he's like mentioning people from the school so like specifically by name uh he's also playing music that's like you know like at the very beginning there's all these like it's scanning across like the, the wide variety of, of things that he likes. Like I saw a Soundgarden tape in there, I think. Oh yeah. Uh, it yeah. might've been their very first album. Um, but, um, but yeah, there was a very kind of punk rock nature to this movie. Um, and it, it reminded me actually quite a bit of a movie that uh, once again, my, my HBO kidness uh, was uh, <laughs> it's from like the, the late seventies called over the edge. It had Matt Dillon in it. I don't know if you ever seen that. Oh no, but it's, it's really cool. It's basic. Yeah. It's got him. It's also has uh, Jackie Earl, Jackie Earl Haley. Uh, but basically like young kids who take over this, uh, rec center and you know, they're, they're very rebellious and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this movie, it perfectly kind of leads up to this, to the finale that I think, is is super appropriate for this movie where kind of like all the teenagers are rising up and because of like what's happening with the station, you know, the FCC starting to kind of, they wanted to get down to, you know, what, you know, how is this person broadcasting this? Who is doing it? Um, you know, but it's really, uh, it's really pretty cool. Um, I, I'm glad that I finally watched it. I hope I didn't spoil your pick or anything. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, but no, it's um, it's one of those ones that um, I don't know why it's not out there streaming. I think you can buy it. It looks like on the the Warner Brothers collection uh, archive collection on DVD. But um, for some reason, you know, as we've we're starting to learn that these streaming services that are owned by big corporations are starting to erase some of their 
library titles for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but this seems like one that would garner people watching it. I, I, you know, I don't know, but I don't um, think so. Yeah, but but yes, Pump of the Volume, nineteen ninety. Check it out. Um, I grabbed it. I feel like I bought it on Blu-ray a number of years ago. Mm, okay. So it was around at some point. Yeah, that was back to my like my skater punk days. This was like a movie that we would put on like at cast parties at high school theater and stuff. And yeah, it was just like one of those like you'd put it on and hang out with it the way we would put on and hang out with like Dazed and Confused and yes, and whatnot. And then um, I remember because I remember watching it where like he's because it's uh, shoot um, Happy Harry Hard on and yes, yes. I remember he was like kind of our age that I remember watching in college going like, Oh shit, I'm on, I'm doing a radio show now, but I'm older than that guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this feels weird. It was one of those where like, as I, as I've aged with it, I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's also that, cause it's 1990. It's interesting. Like it doesn't, 1990 should feel like an eighties movie. Yes. But it, yeah. it, it kind of does in like the, the teen focus of the movie but it doesn't feel like it and i haven't seen it a little bit but it, i don't think it really like plays in the tropes that you would expect fully expect within a teen movie because it has this more rebellious like we're, we're focused on the outsiders here and how you can kind of come together as an outsider community and bring people together you're right i i think it it kind of feels like kind of bold like in a bold new direction which you know is yeah. like right before that indie explosion because right. even though this was put up by new line cinema but I think at the time New Line Cinema was still kind of considered an indie. So like it it feels kind of on that edge. And also, you know, I mean, the fact that a lot of the teen movies were PG-13, this was solidly R, you know, oh, with true. language. Yeah. Yep. And even, um, you know, Samantha Mathis, uh, th- that was her first movie. But like, she's like, you know, there's like a pretty, you know, she's nude. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, which is like... I was like kind of shocked by that just because I think these days a lot of like younger actresses try to avoid that because of the internet. Uh, well, know, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought her performance, you can definitely tell while she, why she had her uh, kind of c- couple years there in the sun as like an it girl. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, and I know she's still acting, but you know, that, that was like her, her moment there. I didn't realize that was like her, uh, her first, like her first role there too. Like, yeah, I, uh, I think it's a, that was her, or, you know, she got the introducing Samantha Mathis credit. Oh, right, this, right, right. For this movie. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, like you said, it's, it's the cusp of, you know, grunge and alternative rock breaking through mainstream wise. And I was, you know, a kid, I would, I did, I was still in like middle school, I think when that came out, I would, I don't think I was aware that it came out when it was in theaters, but once it was on home video, it was, yeah. it was, it was watched a lot. Um, but yeah, like you said, as you look through it, like all the bands that were around, not all the bands, but when grunge broke through, it wasn't like everybody just invented that sound and started playing that music the day before, you know, there are albums and, you know, uh, a lot of bands already touring and working for years before it just kind of burst through into the mainstream. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of cool to go back and see, like, um, I remember like even pausing it and trying to adjust tracking lines. Like, well, what's that cassette there? What's this one over yeah, here? Yeah. Uh, kind of thing back then too. That was really, that was really fun. And then try to go find the music cause you know, no internet. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, try- I'm trying to look up how old he was when he did that. Mo- oh, let's see. Okay. So he was born in 69. So he was like 31 or no, 20 or 20. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, Sorry at my math sometimes. No, uh, but uh but yeah, it's just like um he looks appropriate for that role. Oh yeah. I and I I still get I get I 
whenever he shows up and stuff, I'm just like, wow, that's cool. Like Christian's like, he like brings, maybe he's never had that super, super stardom role. uh, But I feel like he's just been consistently good throughout the years. Yeah. And yeah, maybe he's one of those more like uh, he'll really help round out your cast, even if he's not the lead yes. necessarily. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember I was excited when Interview with the Vampire came out because Christian Slater was in it, not because of the other people. That sure. Were one of them, like, sure. he's just doing the interviewing part. I wanted more Christian Slater in this movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love Bump of the Volume and I watch Cuffs way too many times. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. No, that's that's a great. I'm glad you. I. I I'm, I'm shocked that you hadn't seen it before, but I'm, I'm glad you saw it and enjoyed it. That means it holds up. And uh, yes, I don't feel bad for still really loving that movie from my youth. <laughs> <laughs> so what'd you end up picking? So I swung back in, uh, in a very different way. Actually, it turns out sure. um, one, I went with a documentary. Oh, okay. And two, I went with a more recent film came out in 2019. Um, I've been waiting, waiting. I read about it. I think it, it, it toured around to several film festivals. I don't believe it played here locally at the Cleveland International Film Festival, uh, but it's called WBCN and the American Revolution. Okay. okay. So this is a Boston radio station. And basically this is the movie that I want the fictional version of. Yeah. I was talking about earlier. So, I mean, I love this movie. The, uh, the tagline for it is the incredible true story of how a radio station politics and rock and roll changed everything. It's set in the late sixties, early seventies at WBCN FM. Um, obviously, like I said, the social, political, cultural changes that were going on, um, the anti-war movements going on, the counterculture is booming, um, you know, there's the Black Panther parties out there, LGBTQ, LGBTQ liberations going on. It's just got all of that stuff. And you get all of this awesome archival footage that was filmed like in and around the radio station, um, like Abby Hoffman's coming by. I think Jane Fonda comes by. Patty Smith's there. Um, yeah. Lou, Lou Reed's around. I want to say Garcia comes by at some point. Um, Bowie is in there um, because this is like that. Those are this is the music of the time that they're playing. Yeah, but they're also not afraid to um, be part of the counterculture and the movements that they're covering as a radio station as well. So, you know, when shit's hit the fan of Boston, like they have people out there getting audio and interviewing and all this stuff. And now it's time for our revolutionary new experiment in radio. This is WBCN in Boston. I will tell you so rare. There wasn't any radio station at all that played any of this kind of music. I'm gonna tell you so, baby. It was clearly ours. Older people didn't like it, didn't understand it. Well, we were all hippies. We all had long hair. With 240,000 students in Boston, the best chance I had to pay the rent on this thing was uh, to play rock music. For the first time, there was an outlet for music like this on the radio. You'd hear some muddy, you'd hear some Grateful Dead. Jefferson Airplane, Steve Miller Band, Quicksilver Messenger Service, and Donovan. Jimi Hendrix. Hello, Bruce Springsteen. We're on the air? Yeah, we're on the air. Hey! (laughs) This is my very first time on radio, and I want to say hello to my mother who lives in California. Hi, Mom. You were not going to hear this music anywhere except at WBCN. He did not hire professional radio announcers. He hired kids. I was a uh, philosophy major with no career prospects. Boston was in the grips of counterculture, students trying to find new ways of living, new ways of being. This is Goofa Mama Tupa Hoppa Doopa, and you're listening to WBCN. 
FM 104.1 in Boston. The response from people was so great because we were sort of treating radio not as a performance, but as a relationship with our listeners. I don't know. It, it, it hit all kinds of uh, all the buttons I talked about earlier. I was like, oh, yeah. they're, all, they're all in this movie. And one of the benefits of watching it. So, I mean, it's it's a PBS documentary. I think they were the ones that originally produced it or or financed it. So I think it's part of the um, what is it? What's the, what's their documentary? The American Experience, I think. Oh, yes. I yeah. think it's in there. So I, I was waiting and waiting for it to come to uh, PBS uh, streaming because they have some they have, they have pretty decent streaming um, through through their app. And uh, it finally did. and I finally was able to watch it. I would recommend going over to Canopy if you have a library card and watching it there because yeah. it's one of those um, documentaries that also has supplemental material with it. Mm. Um, and it's basically like a downloadable PDF of this awesome and expansive press kit. Yeah. Uh, where it's like a whole timeline of the radio station. The director's got, you know, personal essay in there, all of that stuff. So all of the all of the uh, turmoil and change that was going on in society, um, it's just it's all in and around this radio station in Boston because of the music they were, they were playing, but also the guests they would have on. And then once you make enough of a name for yourself, like if artists are seeing that like, Oh, this station in a major market is playing uh, my music and I, and you know, people are coming out to my shows. I mean, not that like David Bowie was going to be fine. <laughs> like yeah. Ruby was going to be fine. like all these artists were fine. These weren't like, um, you know, unknown artists that were going out there. Um, but you know, they're stopping by and they're on the air. I think, um, also cause it, uh, you know, location to MIT, like Noam Chomsky's around. So oh, give wow. them like real time political commentary on stuff. And they weren't afraid to like take a stance and just like, you know, this is what we are. We're like, you know, we're a full, like kind of counterculture, uh, radio station and all of that entails and all of that means when it's like the late sixties and early seventies. Yeah. Wow. No, that sounds like really up my alley. Yeah. It's, um, it's really, really, oh, I, uh, Bill Lichtenstein, um, directed it, produced it. I think he's an editor too on most of his stuff. Um, I think he's like a multi Peabody award winning, you know, documentarian, yeah. like just doing some, uh, some, some amazing, amazing documentary work. That one was one that, um, I don't know, that one just really, really blew me away, which is saying something because I was really expecting it to also like, yeah. it, it had everything I was hoping it was going to have in there. And I'm not one of those people like I can enjoy and love a documentary. I'm singing its praises right now, but I do still want a fictional version of this. Sure. Like all oh, the needle drops and just, yeah, give me somebody playing, you know, Bowie and Lou Reed and Patty Smith. And then I would, you know, cast uh, the, and what's also cool too, is it, it is a bit of a talking head documentary and the folks that are still alive that were on the air back then are reminiscing about it, but it's just one of those, it's an archival uh, yeah. documentary and seeing the types of quote unquote characters that were on the air uh, on WBCN at the time and, and, and featured in, in the documentary, you see a little bit of like little bit of on-air antics versus like behind the scenes how they are versus yeah. uh that which isn't to say that they're like i mean they're themselves on the air but it's a bit more of a performance because you know you're on the air it's it's gotta it's gotta it's gotta hit people on the airwaves and all that too so yeah wbcn and the american revolution is the full name of it and uh head over to canopy um or your local pbs app if you want to go that route too that sounds awesome but yeah so that means our official watch challenge picks for radio station films are Pump Up the Volume from 1990 and WBCN and the American Revolution from 2019. Mike, what challenge have we got in front of us for next time? 
Well, now that the the summer months are approaching, and one of my favorite pastimes is to go to the drive-in, oh, yeah. we're going to do, if we had the keys to programming a drive-in double feature, because uh, National Drive-In Movie Day is June 6th, which is just around the corner. Indeed. So if you'd like to suggest a topic or genre you'd like covered in a future show, or if you have a prime, like you gotta show this at the drive, yes. this would be the way to do it. Uh, send it our way. Watch challenge podcast at gmail.com or there's links in the show notes, um, including one of them is a, a form for suggestion. Just click a button, do a couple bits of typing and you're all set. Until next time, folks rate, review the show and whatever podcast app you're using. And we'll see you with the next challenge.